Linux OTC. Welcome to episode 21. We're your hosts. I'm Bill. I'm Eric. And I'm not doing it this time. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and Leo is really not doing it this time. He is yes, not with us. You know, family stuff. Yeah, totally he's got a hot it. date, totally apparently. A hot waffle date with his daughter, which, to be honest, I mean... I'm a little I, jealous. I, I, yeah, I'm right, man. Yeah. Damn right, man. <laughs> I don't think I I'd love... be passing that up. I don't know. Oh, <laughs> no, no, it's just the thought of it is making me hungry. <laughs> I think... Uh, well, well that, that and the fact I didn't have lunch, but I mean, you know... <laughs> I think later on this evening, I'm going to break out the... I bought this big set of Sunday dishes to make ice cream sundaes in. I bought it like three years ago, and I've never used them. They're still in the styrofoam. I think we're going to break those out tonight and have like a Isn't little... it like the 2nd of December? Is It's not really... I mean, you know, I put it to you that easy. ice cream is good all year round, and... I, I do as well. I agree, but at the moment, it's minus five or something outside and you know it is my, a toasty 72 here in the house <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I mean, in, in fact even in fahrenheit it's going to be what 25 something like that at the minute yeah. it's cold it's suddenly it's, got cold well we're not going to go outside and eat it we're gonna we're gonna stay inside yeah. <laughs> we're, for, anyways, the record, yeah. for the record so, so, it's 84 degrees here right now so oh you can just <laughs> Oh man, I used to ha- I used to have this conversation. Well, okay, no, I lie. I didn't have this conversation with my dad because I was too scared of him. But if I if I could have, when I was a kid, I would have said, "Dad, what was wrong with Florida? What was wrong with Brisbane? Why did you have to emigrate from India to this place where it's freezing cold and it's dark and everything like that?" And yeah, so I never really had the guts to say that. And once I told it to my mom afterwards, and she said, "Yeah, but you do have to realize that we come from an oven." <laughs> you know, in India, you know, right. it's yeah, you know, it's you know, over a hundred degrees and it's boiling hot and all this kind of stuff. So um going to another warm place didn't really have the same attraction. Yeah. Well we did you know the opposite. I'm... We went from the cold climate, which I was pretty happy with. <laughs> Where to at? the uh um I grew up in Pennsylvania and then we lived in New Jersey oh. for about ten years and you know, I just you kind of get used to the seasonality of the, of things. Ah, where... but you see, this is the thing. See, this is the thing about the UK. Because I remember I had the same conversation with one of my friends, who's uh, he's married a Canadian girl, and you know they go off to she's from Montreal, um, and you know once a year they go off to Montreal, and I was kind of like, oh, must be must get a bit chilly in the winter, and he goes, yeah, it does get very chilly in the winter, but the thing about, uh, sorry, hold on. This is my late lunch time. That got uh, spilled. <laughs> <laughs> I did that quite well, I thought, actually. Um, <laughs> uh, sorry, what was I saying? Yeah, so yeah, he, so his missus is from Montreal, and I said, it must get really chilly in the winter. And he goes, yeah, it does get really chilly in the winter, but it's got four discrete seasons, you know. So, you know, the spring is the spring, the summer is the summer, the autumn, the fall, whatever you want to call it, is that. And the winter, yes, it's cold, but you know it's going to be cold. So you have, you know, uh, budgeted for it, you've taken allow- you know, taken it into consideration with whatever you do. The thing with the UK is that we are a maritime temperate climate. So 
Yes, so today is 25 degrees out. Three days ago, it was 50 degrees out. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? It's just, and then, you know, we will have, we have had had snow in December, in June. We have had it. It's not often, but it happens, you know, yeah. and we have had Christmases where, you know, it's, uh, I wouldn't say tropical, but I mean, it's mild spring weather, you know, and that's the issue. You can't, so like, you know, it gets frustrating in the summer because you think to yourself, okay, I'll organize a barbecue. And then you organize a barbecue and that's the day it will rain. <laughs> You know, and then, and the next day it'll be fine. And then you're like, oh, okay. So, but you can kind of count on rain. I mean, like you said, the maritime climate. You guys get so much rain. Yeah, yeah. You just have to assume it's always raining, basically. Yeah. So then, when it doesn't happen, so like when what was it <laughs> last year when it hit four, you know, forty degrees, you know, one hundred and ten, right? Yeah. In this country, and it had never hit that ever before, ever. We would none of us knew what the hell to do. <laughs> it's like, yeah. wait a minute. <laughs> Well, it's actually pretty dangerous, right? I mean, that's if you don't have a, as many people with air conditioning, um, you don't have a lot uh, of people, you know. Yeah, basically nowhere has air conditioning in the UK, basically. Which kind of blows my mind because even that's if for nothing else, the humidity, because I, yeah. I can handle higher temperatures, but humidity drives me crazy. Yeah. Like I just yeah, don't yeah, like yeah. being sticky. So yeah, I think yeah, for yeah. that reason alone, I would just be like, okay, I'm going to put in a, a <laughs> like a window unit or something. <laughs> I mean, my, um, I mean, my, I remember my dad did put in ceiling fans. Um, oh, with, well. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, so listen, my recent experience is that I uh, decided to volunteer to edit Distro Hopper's Digest. Oh, okay. Because Tony's been doing it. And I, this is my seventh show this month. So that's, uh, you know, almost eight months of participating in the show. And I feel like all I really do is sort of show up and <laughs> like, you know, talking to the mic and say, okay, thanks guys. See you next time. And I, there's more to it than that. I mean, you're record, you're uh, preparing the show notes and, you know, doing the work of you mm-hmm. know, testing the distro and all that stuff. But it's kind of felt like Tony was getting sort of the short end of the stick there where it's like, he's not participating in the show itself. And, but he has, so like the blogger account is under his Gmail account and mm-hmm. um, he set up, red circle and like all, so all the stuff like he had sort of set up and had been responsible for, but now like that he's not participating. I kind of thought, you know, it seems fair if maybe one of the people doing the show should do it. And honestly, I used to do podcast editing quite a lot and just haven't for years and have forgotten the amount of effort that goes into getting three disparate streams you know, of recordings, you know, lining them up, getting them sort of at the same levels. Uh, Mm -hmm. I realized, which I hadn't, and I still didn't No, you know what's fun is when you got six of them. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, I mean, I did did think this, you know, when people were talking about, you know, having more um, presenters on Mincast and stuff like that. It's like, I mean, it's great. Obviously, more people is good in content but the logistics must get much, much more difficult. Yeah, yeah. It's slightly more. I mean, once you've got the waveforms lined up, though, it's really the more people, it's slightly more effort, but most of the work is done after they're all lined up, and then you're you're going through it, and I've been putting more effort into all these shows lately, going through it and taking out parts where people are, taking a drink of coffee or, uh, you know, squeaky chair. Like, my chair is really bad, so I go through and do that. And then sometimes when people are talking over each other, 
because of the awkward delay or whatever. Well, editing is editing, right? You have to make decisions about what, because I, I, not only is it the, you know, the little fumbles or the noises or, you know, just sort of the, the overall kind of quality, you know, yeah. the audio quality, mm -hmm. but content as well. So there were definitely times in this latest episode where I had to make decisions about, yes, like talking over who, who wins in that, you know? Um, also just, there were portions of conversations that kind of meandered a bit. And honestly, yeah. like that 10 seconds really didn't add anything. And mm -hmm. I don't, so it's a, it's a weird thing as an editor, because I don't want to take words out of someone's mouth. Cause that's essentially what you're doing, um, mm -hmm. and change the narrative. But at the same time, you, I, I think that in order to put out a good podcast that there has to be some editorial control. There has to yes, be, absolutely. you know, a certain amount of like, with okay, great power comes great responsibility. Well, it's true. Yeah. It's it, true. You have to make decisions when you're the one doing the editing, you mm. can't go and ask the team every single time you run across <laughs> right. uh, a, a situation yeah. where you've got to decide, do I take this? Because you can, you do run the risk of fundamentally changing the, uh, trajectory of a conversation just oh by yeah, yeah definitely a definitely. few things but if that you know you have to make that decision would i be uh making the quality a little bit better by removing this little thing or moving this over here and that over there you know and is that more important to the audience you know you got to keep the audience in mind i think yeah yep and so you have the the content component of it and like bill's saying i realized that i need a to put a noise gate back on my mic because I catch a lot of breathing, which I wasn't aware of because I wasn't really listening for it. And mm -hmm. I don't want to, you know, usually go back and listen to my own recordings. I just verify that they're there and that it's about the right size. And, you know, but once I mix them together and I've got three layers of conversation, I'm hearing breathing or I'm hearing this and that and I'm, and I'm starting to look and the waveform isn't really high enough that you can see where it's coming from. So what I tend to do is anything that is silence on the part, you know, where someone's not actively speaking, I will highlight that area and just blank it. Just get rid of everything that's on that channel because I don't really need that to carry over. Now you have to be careful because if you deaden things too much, then it sounds wrong. You have to leave some room in there. So the other thing I did was in the tracks themselves where there's pauses or people taking breaths, I set it so that it reduces that by about 50%. So the breath noise is still there, but it's not as like in your ear, like someone, <sighs> you know, like it's, it can get really obnoxious if you don't tone some things down. Yeah. There's I mean, so heavy little... breathing in people's ears normally gets you a restraining order from the police. <laughs> not that I have any idea of how that happened, but. Or you can just label it as <laughs> ASMR and then people love that too. So. Oh yeah. 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 I don't well... get that. <laughs> Uh, well, it's Sounds it's like only for the people idea. that get it. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I you have to make a decision on that too because sometimes you have to decide. Okay, if I put a noise gate on here, is it going to adversely affect the quality of the sound mm. overall? You know, and yeah. can would it be doable just to take the breathing out? during editing which yeah you know, most of the time it's not once you get used to the workflow it's not all that hard because you'll see uh, the way i do it for example i'm kind of scanning through it and if i see like a large dense chunk of waveform on one person's 
uh, track, then you really shouldn't see much of anything on somebody else's track. So that's where yeah. you kind of go and see, okay, what is this little bit of something right here? And is that uh, sometimes, you know, somebody will be talking about something and then another person will be kind of agreeable, just kind of, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, and then you want to kind of leave that in sometimes just because <laughs> of the, yeah, I do it too, just because oh, yeah, of I do the, all the time the interaction you want to you want to capture that magic of interaction between the people but uh i do sometimes I do wonder don't. though whether silence can sometimes be off-putting the it reason is. i say the, i truncate silence every time no, no i don't mean by like long silences i'm talking about so i've noticed this with vlc and certain uh uh you know series content that i've been watching and I'd noticed it earlier, actually, before on a couple of Asus devices, because they had it inbuilt in their video player. But if there was, you know, say you're watching, I don't know, some series, whatever, and then there's a um, an episode of silence in that scene, right? Then it would, like, you know, machine learning, AI, whatever you want to call it, buzzword, but it would kind of dampen down the noise. So it would become even quieter and it would actually start getting slightly off-putting because it would then it would just all my and I, the amount of times when i thought has the sound just gone mm-hmm. you know and then you'd gone and then you know then somebody else would start talking again and then you know the ambient noise that was there because that, that's what you were hearing just the ambient noise of the room or the ambient noise yeah. of the scene mm-hmm. uh, or whatever and i did i found it and i couldn't on the aces i couldn't switch it off I, i'll probably be able to switch that thing off on vlc if i fiddle around with it um but yeah, I found that a bit odd actually. It was, it was and I'd, I would notice the okay. There's no ambient noise from this room that was there just a second ago. Yeah, you know there there is a tendency when you're editing to um, it's not not being perfect, but you're trying to to get so as you're listening to it, you're being very careful about people's voices and trying not to clip down too much of what they're saying. And like Bill said, you have to be careful about quiet parts and not over compressing or you know reducing volume and where you don't need to um but you do you and i did this a lot of my when i started making youtube videos i would make it so that my my voice was the only thing you could hear never any of the background never any breathing never any mm-hmm. clicking of the keyboard or and what it and it made it sound very dead very fake um and you're absolutely right so what i learned is that whenever you reduce noise you don't reduce it to nothing you reduce it 50% mm-hmm. or, you know, so you're, you're leaving the hint of those noises there without it being like in your face, in your, because when you're using a microphone this close, you pick up a lot of mouth sounds, a lot of breathing. I mean, your nose might be whistling, like all kinds of weird stuff that you mm-hmm. really don't want to hear because you don't want to, you don't have a conversation with someone when they're <laughs> well, six yeah, I mean, so Yeah, I know. No, I mean, so it makes it the whole thing sound more natural. And yeah. it's that thing, it's that thing if sometimes you do get, it's a bit less nowadays, or maybe it's just the algorithm's not showing me as much these days, but, you know, you'd go on YouTube and sometimes you'd have guides, whatever, and it would just, it would be a computerized voice. This is how to root your phone. <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean? Maybe because yeah. somebody has, maybe somebody's not an English speaker, native language, whatever. So they've made the YouTube video with the computer voice and... Yeah. It's okay. Maybe now with AI, it might be a little bit no. better. But I mean, even even though, so, and I've been saying this to my wife because she keeps prodding me. She's like, "Oh, you should try to do voiceover." And you know, everybody says they they love your voice and yada yada yada. And like, 
and I'm like, you know what? Voiceover is dead. Like AI has completely killed it. And she's like, no, every time I listen to something that's supposed to be like advanced AI, yes, the tonal quality of the voice has gotten much better. It sounds much more realistic, but inflection, emotion, all of that stuff is still so far off and it's it's really jarring it it pulls you out of the experience so you've got this rich voice that's reading something and all of a sudden instead of a, a normal flow of how a human being would speak there's this weird you know pause or inflection or you know different tone or like something that is the uh, like the uncanny valley of when you're looking at something and you can see that it's not you know human mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing in the the quality of the voice. And so I still think, and that's going to be a very difficult thing to program, right? To I think you're around. right, because we, we, we send so much emotion and we send Nuance. so, I mean, the words we speak are only really half of oh, it's the less information than that. that we're... I, I, I mean, you know, the people talk about uh, something like uh, communication, 80% of it is nonverbal. Yeah, you know, uh, you and know, only twenty percent is the actual words that you say. And if you are taking a lot of the uh, nonverbal out by just having audio only, then these slight changes in pitch, the inflections, the nuances—they yes. mean so much more. I would say though that I think a lot of it is just to do with the um, the relative newness. I'm trying to think of a better word, but I can't think of a better word. But, you know, we're still at the emergent end of AI. It's still an evolving new technology. The reason I say this is um, I was chatting with one of my uh, colleagues the other day, and we both like the same kind of music. We're both, you know, big fans of 90s and, you know, 2000s metal, whatever. And I was telling him, have you seen these AI things on YouTube? And I said, what? Well, basically, they've taken... Um, songs and you know what if it was sung by someone else oh right? yeah and it's AI yeah. so um, and I was telling him like you know because we both like Oasis and uh, I was saying you know there's some of the Noel songs that have been AI'd that if Liam had sang them and things mm-hmm. like that mm-hmm. anyway so anyway by ch- obviously I must have been searching for this um, on YouTube because the algorithm showed something today where you know it was uh, Chester Bennington doing um, again, some different song. You're just benefiting the late singer of Linkin Park, you know, in my mm-hmm. opinion, one of the best bands of the 21st century. Um, and, you know, there were songs like, I don't know, by Adele or by other people that, you know, <laughs> this AI was doing, right? Yeah. And yeah. when I listened to the the one at the top, it was like, it was like, whoa, man, that's just nuts. It does sound like Chester singing. But then I then started listening. And the further older videos that I got, the less and less it sounded, you know, like mm-hmm. him it sounded uh, you know it didn't sound it didn't yeah it just wasn't as good and that's when i thought ah this is the ai learning there's the first couple of you know uh samples and videos are from a year ago or whatever that the guys put up on youtube and these ones now the one that i listened to today was like posted the other day so the ai has learned in that year to sound more and more like chester you know yeah. so i think you're right, but it may it may just be a question of time. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Before I mean, I, you know, before AI yeah. does get to that level. Well, so the, so this is where I think AI the lines blur a little bit. So in terms of let's say audio production, I was looking a couple of days ago. So I started where I started initially years ago, which is with Audacity. Right, that's the free tool. It allows me to do multiple tracks, and but I 
quickly ran into the same problems that I ran into back then, which was it's a destructive editor, meaning that as you go and as you make changes to things and you save it, you're moving forward from that point, meaning that you've fundamentally altered the material itself. So there's no, <clears throat> and what I mean by that is if I do a, like a noise reduction or a truncate silence or something that, and this is a two hour long recording and I spot check, you know, I don't know, 10 minutes of it and it all sounds good. Super, let's move forward. But then I get 10 steps down the line and realize, oh no, that truncate silence cut, you know, some really important part of this recording. Now I have the original still as a separate file. I can go back and I can splice it in or whatever, but now I've lost the other 10 changes. I mean, it's, it's just messy, right? And so what you then graduate to is a DAW, a digital audio, audio workstation where, and Audacity is doing this with real time plugins. So basically you're not changing fundamentally the underlying file you're just adding effects on top of it and those effects can be literally turned off and on or changed tweaked as you go where you're not altering that file and so it's not it's non-destructive in that sense that's the so difference between the two audacity has uh, somewhere around version 3.1 something or other they've stopped using the the two file saving thing that they had and now they're using a uh, SQL Lite database mm -hmm. backend and so it's less you can actually save um, complete uh, what do they call it uh, lossless copies of the uh, project now so it's not destructive in the way that it was before uh, you have to go in and enable all that though but it is an oh. option Maybe that's why, because I, I, it wasn't behaving that way. It was still behaving as the way it used to. It, it by default, I don't think it's on because it, it uses the SQ, SQLite, but then when you save the project and close it, and then you go back to it the next day, all of your undo and redo history is gone. This is mm. actually a good segue, actually. Um, well, what, the segue is that I was, I was thinking yesterday, when I realized that, you know, we'd have to kind of um, change the timings for uh, uh, OTC today, um, that um, you know, what, what, what am I going to talk about? And I know we say this thing, we, we don't plan beforehand, but obviously, you know, things come to mind, isn't it? And I was thinking to myself about the, I'm sure you guys have seen it, the adverts for the new Google Pixel 8 and the Google Pixel 8 Pro. Yeah. And then there's so much about magic eraser, magic editor, you know, audio eraser and all this kind of stuff, right? And I've listened to podcasts which have gone on about, well, this is this is a problem because now um, basically you're going to end up with memories that didn't actually happen, photos of things which, yes, everybody was smiling, but nobody was smiling in that way at the time you took the <laughs> shot, right? And that's why you had to use best take or, you know... Um, Yes, you did jump, but you didn't jump that high, you know, or, you know, you, yes, you yes, you were posing in the gym, but there was a guy behind you, you know, uh, or whatever it might be. And I thought to myself, surely this is a problem rather than a feature. You know, if you think about it in one sense, you'd be like, you know, why, why would people want this? Why would people want to have fake memories, fake photos, fake videos or whatever it might be? And then 
it reminded me of because I've been to the gym and it reminded me that in the gym that I go to they've recently put a ban on tripods because people are bringing tripods and phones and filming themselves working out right I mean I mean so sad it's not something I would do obviously but I mean you know people are doing that and so all of this was kind of swirling in my mind yeah and I thought to myself Basically, everybody is trying to turn their life into a TV show. They're trying to make their life cooler, better, nicer. The memories are just that bit better. The sound is just that bit better. The video is just that bit better. You know, um, the Instagram post is just that bit cooler, you know, uh, and all that sort of thing. And it's, it's a case of it's editing in the same way that we're talking about, you know, audio editing, right? But it's audio editing with a narrative of trying to make things look as polished and as cool and as sexy and as whatever as possible, right? Um, and that's why everybody's going for it. And that's why it's not a bug, it's a feature. It's, yes, m- completely make up the fact that you, you know, you actually didn't make that, you know, jump, you know, that high. But, you know, make it up because it looks cooler and it looks better and it's better to share and this, that and the other. And I just thought, wow, talk about the influence of television and stuff on our psyche. Yeah, um, that, you know, we're trying to make our lives a bit like that, especially if you ever watch any of the 90s sitcoms. So I've been watching the reboot of Frasier, which I know is not a 90s sitcom, but it's obviously very played in that same way. And I thought some of the jokes that were happening and the way that people were saying it was like, I've seen people act like this at work. People will make a funny comment in that same way. And I thought, wow, man, we're all tra- we're all stars of our own TV shows. I don't know if that's too big a leap to go from, but I thought it was a nice segue because we're talking about editing and how you can manipulate stuff to make it fit a narrative well and i I think that you know what i see a lot of is uh people using filters and that was sort of uh, for a long time people using the filters to sort of soften you know Mm. uh lighting and to sort of you know there are (laughs) there are girls in my family who i don't know that i've ever seen a non-filtered picture (laughs) of you know what i mean uh so they've created this sort of persona almost in a way where it's not them uh it is them but there's a there's a layer that's on Mm. top of them and so you're not getting the true representation of what they actually look like uh yeah sure i mean it's their their face and whatever and i think that a lot of this stuff is sort of a progression of that yeah i mean um like when you were talking about magic eraser this is so dumb but like the first thing i thought of was a lot of times you'll look at old photos and you'll it'll occur to you like someone's in the background and you'll look at it and and then all of a sudden it becomes more interesting because there's some, you know, quirk to the photo where it's Mm. like either a relative that you haven't thought of for, you know, a a couple decades or I, I mean, all I'm saying is there, there's a compositional aspect to a photograph that maybe you catch something that you like photo bombing. That was all a big thing for a while. Right. Or like, yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, So but that, that 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 brings see ironically that's what actually makes the memory isn't it that's what makes because yeah. because you know uh, the the imp- imperfect imperfectness 
of mm-hmm. the situation yeah. is often what's the interesting thing because you'd be like you know um taking well, uh, photos and it'd be like oh do you remember that old bloke who was out in the garden behind and you know and that's why all that's why you know uh, the dog's looking the other direction because he was making a noise or whatever it might be you know right. rather than this kind of very perfectly manicured professionally right. done you know uh kind of as i said you know almost like you know everybody's a star in the tv show everybody wants to be a star of as the of their own modeling program or whatever it might be to show we've, themselves we've, as looking as cool and as brilliant as yeah. whatever well we live in a world of content now right and everybody can create their own content and so it's not about capturing a memory it's about producing something mm. and um you know we've just been talking about producing audio for a podcast and that's but that's the point is you're trying to make a product that is you know easy to listen to that is interesting that you know is worth the time and effort it takes to make something versus you're just having a a family get together and like you want to take pictures it's not it should be <laughs> less about you know producing something polished i guess and there's a certain um i don't know there's a certain sort of charm to the lack of production value right it's just like so my wedding we had the professional photographer and of course all those photos are amazing right i mean they're taken by someone who knows what they're doing that has amazing equipment yada yada Mm -hmm. yada. we also had point and shoot click cameras you know on the tables and i'll be damned if some of the best pictures from our wedding aren't just dumb you know crappy quality yeah. pictures there's one of my grandfather in a, in profile sitting and blowing bubbles because we had little bubbles on all the tables and it's just like my 75 year old grandfather blowing bubbles like where in the hell would i ever get that picture from i mean mm. i couldn't tell him hey pap you know blow bubbles or something like you just you capture those moments because it was something that was just there and there's and most of them were kids picking them up <laughs> you know or yeah but you know, there's a there's a certain spontaneity and a certain sort of um, you know you're capturing a moment in time versus producing and this isn't exactly exactly. I'm, I'm giving point. you what actually happened versus what I want you to see. You know those yes. are the, so yeah, yeah. But but to, to sort of circle back a little bit on the production part of like the podcast. So I was looking at, at moving to the different editing options and. So, you know, like I mentioned, Audacity and Destructive and then a DAW, which is less so. I mean, it's you can layer on the effects. And then I'm like, okay, well, I know Adobe has a, a podcasting app or, um, yeah, audio production app. And then I know that there are other companies that are, you know, providing software. And what are the, what are the features that they provide? And it was interesting to see that AI has come in to help with, you know, uh, removing silence with removing ahs and ums and o's and stuff that you you know those uh what do they call them connecting words or um so like there <clears throat> there th- that's somewhere where i can see ai being a huge help to just do a, a first pass and remove a bunch of that junk mm. line up the waveforms perfectly maybe that's somewhere else where it can you know help out um so Ooh, i figured I'm, out something on that front uh, for the longest time, I'd been having trouble with Audacity. My timing on my recordings, as well as a couple of other people, like Joe's is pretty bad, uh, would decay throughout the duration of the recording. And it was not a predictable decay either. It was kind of all over the place. 
Um, and then it, then I discovered that this Scarlet box that I use, this Focusrite Scarlet, by default is set up at 48 mega, megahertz uh, sample rate. And Audacity is recording at 44.1. And so I set my box at 44.1 and it kept time throughout the entire recording. So there's that. Um, it's slightly anecdotal because it's only it's only worked twice now, but mm-hmm. it's the first time my recordings have stayed on track throughout the entire recording process. Now, none of this matters on Windows for some reason. Windows must be using some other method to keep time, but on Linux, if you've got a malignment of sample rates, your uh, timing's going to be Wait, off. Wait, are then- you saying that Linux has jank? Are you saying that Linux has things that just don't seem to work or work properly? Yeah, I mean, oh, I had a bit of a, I had a bit of an epic fail on this, that sort of front actually this week. Where um, <laughs> only one? <laughs> yes, only <laughs> only one epic fail this week, which was the um, uh, my. Uh, so we've got an extra phone in the house. Um, my wife wanted. Um, there to be parental controls on it because my daughter uses it, which is fair enough. Um, and so I thought, now what would a normal person do? A normal person would just reset the phone and then log in using, you know, Android's Google family link type of stuff. That's what a normal person would do. Me, on the other hand, well, this was a phone that already had lineage on it. So I thought, well, if I'm going to be wiping it, let's try a different custom ROM. Because, I mean, we've been talking about it. What's the worst that could happen? I mean, what's the yeah. worst that could happen? Right? Anywho. So, <clears throat> um, I, I, I start you know, the process. I get the wiki of the, the ROM that I want to install. And, you know, it's telling me to do a few more things than normal. You know, wipe this partition, wipe that partition, put a new partition table. And I thought, well, lineage isn't normally this complicated. But anyway, it doesn't matter. Plus, because it's got lineage, so it means it's already got a custom recovery already on there. Anyway, so I do all the steps, I do everything in according to the wiki, and then I get to the last thing, which is flash the actual update package. So I go to flash the update package, and it then uh, I then get a thing coming up on the phone saying that the SPL, which I'm assuming is the security patch, is uh, from on the device already was from the 1st of November, but the ROM that I'm flashing had it, had a older security patch and so it will not flash and i was like okay and you know and trans you know transfer failed aborted i'm like okay fine i now have a dead phone (laughs) because because you see it, it because in the process of flashing yes it figured that bit out but it didn't stop deleting the entire os that was on there already and, and so this yes, is why I, I just uh, I I don't have time for the phones. I'm sorry, or the tablets. I mean, I know that you guys get into it and all that, but the phones are always just a fart sickle for yeah. this kind of stuff, you know. And the tiniest little mistake, and look what you got. You got yeah. basically nothing. Yeah. So, and so I've I've had to then go off and buy another phone. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then for this one, I just uh, I, uh, I got got some cheap. Um, it is actually it is actually when you think about it, actually, it is amazing how good technology has become cheap. I mean, you know, I was reading a, an article the other day saying, you know, it's ten years now since the first Moto G 
was launched. And, you know, I don't know if you remember, you know, it came out, it was like 150 pound, you know, less than $200. And, you know, you had a HD screen and yes, it was eight gig of storage, but for that kind of price, it was the first good budget phone that you didn't feel like you were wading through treacle trying to get anything done. Well, um, again, I, you're the you're the product being sold here. Oh yeah, hundred percent. You know, yeah. whether it's an expensive phone or a cheap phone, and more so with the cheap phone, you're being a lot of the price and some of that cheap technology is subsidized by. Uh, third parties that have their crapware on there and what have yeah. you and then the advertisements and things like that that you'll get you have a lot more lockdown stuff on a cheaper phone i've noticed especially mm. on the android side well I, it would only be on the android side but applications you can't get rid of you might not even be able to disable them you know simply because and that's true definitely of the chinese ones i must say you know the xiaomi's yeah. realme's redmi's and all that but so anyway, I thought to myself, you know, if I'm going to have to buy something new, why not actually get another Motorola? It's been a long time since we've had a Motorola, you know, see what ver what the G Moto G is like now. Now there's obviously about 15 different versions of it now. You know, the G31, the G32, the G56, or you know, all these random phone naming conventions have always been terrible and they always manage to get worse. It's just like, for example, Sony have now have Xperia 1 Mark V. A, Mark, a Xperia 10 Mark V, and the funniest of all, an Xperia 5 Mark V. <laughs> kind of like, okay. So, do you want to get the do you want to get the five Mark IV, or the five Mark V, or the five Mark? And it's just, oh god. Anyway, so I got this, and actually, I was surprised actually as to um, it was relatively clean when it comes to that, the bloatware and stuff like that. I think this was this is one of those kind of Black Friday sales where they're trying to get rid of old stock. So that's how I managed to get it relatively cheap. It was probably about it would have normally been probably about 170 180 bucks and i got it for like 90 something because i think they were just trying to get rid of stock um so i i use that to my advantage i suppose in that sense but but even then okay even if we're gonna say that it's a 200 pound phone right 90 hertz display uh decent speakers dual sim with a micro sd card headphone jack you know um yeah, I mean, it's not going to wow anybody with this photography, and well, but this is where, and I and I di I don't disagree with you. It's great that we have these these lower priced options, but if you're willing to use last year's phone, yeah, and you've and, got it again. You've already got that, yeah. Well, no, if you're happy with uh, a used one, which is what I do, then yeah. you can get a nine hundred dollar, thousand dollar phone for three hundred dollars. Yeah. Which, and you're not making any sort of uh, compromises with quality because it is literally the top end of the market. And, you know, it, so I try to find those ones where you know this is a person who gets a new phone every year just because that's what they like to do and they have the money to do it. And it's like, yeah. And the, their devices are perfect. They've always had a screen cover, they've always been in a case. And you're basically getting a brand new phone, you know, of course, minus the time that it was used. Uh, for for such a, a, a less a lower price and like I don't even honestly understand why anyone pays full price for a new device. I, so I think not it, anymore. No, yeah. I mean, there. You reminded me of two videos, actually, two YouTube videos by uh, the YouTuber Mister Who's the Boss. Right, he did one a couple of weeks ago, and there's one that I remember from maybe about two three years ago. The one a couple of weeks ago was. Well, you know, he took a $400 phone and he took a 
$1,200 phone, right? And he said, is the $1,200 phone three times better than the $400 one? These right? are new phones. And these were new, right? So the ones okay. that he took, right? so the ones that he, so he got a, uh, it was a Xiaomi Redmi Note 13 Pro Plus, and he had a Samsung Galaxy S23 Ultra, right? So, and as he went through it, he said, look, yeah, the cameras aren't as good. But they're probably about 70% as good, 60% if you want to be difficult, if you want to be really particular. Okay, <laughs> now, if you want, now if you want to look at the screen, yeah, the screen is probably 85% the same as the other one. So, the, the idea, so yes, you pay 400 quid, you pay, you know, you pay a third, but you're not getting a third of the phone, right? Yeah. And this is that thing about, you know, um, the, the delta, you know, it's a law of diminishing returns. It becomes a plateau if you were to do a graph. The more money you spend, the less you get. The other video that I remember was from a couple of years ago where he said last year's flagship versus this year's mid-ranger, right? Mm -hmm. And he actually had, I think, a... By the way, I'm not sponsored by Mr. Who's the Boss or anything like that because I've just realised <laughs> this is the second time probably I've mentioned him. Uh, but of course, if he wants to sponsor me and give me money and free stuff, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, and uh, I, th I can't remember which phones he used, but I think, he, you know, he had like a two-year-old phone that's what it was. I think there was one from, he was testing a phone from 2020 versus 2018 or 2022 versus 2020 or something like that. Yeah, there was a two year difference. And basically the older phone was better. The older premium phone, last year's mm -hmm. best, was still two years later better than uh, the mid-range, which was still good, no, no doubt. Yeah, it was good value for yeah. money, this, that and the other. But now that the prices were equal, you were still getting more phone for your money by going for a older device. And interestingly, after I um, uh, after I bought this, uh, the Motorola, I hadn't really checked the specs out very well because I'd just seen the price and gone, okay, that's fine. That'll be good enough for my daughter, right? Um, and I started actually like, okay, so it's got a Snapdragon 680. Let's see what that's like compared to the older phone, which was a OnePlus 6. So that's from 2018, running a Snapdragon 845 right right the 845 still beats it on synth admittedly synthetic benchmarks admittedly yeah but in raw even though this chip is three four years newer it is still something like the older uh chip is still 20 30 percent um more performant which again shows really not just getting the, a year old phone you know sometimes you know you can get a I think one of the, there was another YouTuber who one part uh, Juan Carlos Bagnell who said that we attained peak performance with the Snapdragon eight fifty five, and then since then it's all been diminishing returns since then. Hmm. You know, well, which yeah. speaks to you know they have to put out new product, they have to yeah, you know, to differentiate it can't just be the same processor over and over. So hey, well let's make it an eight sixty, even though it's really probably not much different if if any better. And I think what you're seeing is. The difference between just the age of a device that was built to top-end specs versus something being built to a lesser spec on purpose, mm -hmm. right? So that's the difference, meaning that, yes, on paper, they may look as though... So, you know, like you said, the the one from two years ago versus the, the mid-range one now, on paper may look very similar, but once you dig into it, well, the two-year-old one has... Is just has better cameras just because it does. Mm -hmm. It has, you know, a better, uh, you know, 
coprocessor just because it does, you know, and that type of stuff. And you get into the components they use to build the top end one are just inherently better. They just happen to be slightly older and that age isn't as important as something being built lesser on purpose, right? Yeah, so, I, mean, I, I mean, I think you find this whenever you go to, if you go to more, I, I don't want to call them emerging markets because now they're pretty, you know, established markets now, you know, Southeast Asia, right. India, Brazil, places like this. But, okay, but places, shall we say, that are more price sensitive, let me put it that way, right? You, For mm-hmm. example, when I, whenever I've been to India, the amount of phones is just unbelievable. And they're literally at every, you know, if we were to talk you about- the models uh, that are available? Yeah, the models. Yeah, there's just oh, so you. many, so many. 50, and you might say, well, this one's $50 more than that. What's the big deal? Why have they bothered even making it? Well, $50 is a lot of, a lot of money in India, you know? Right. And if, you, if you're buying your first phone, your only phone, the phone that, um, you haven't got a computer, this is your gateway to the internet and the world, then, you know, um, those um, those what seem minor price reductions in dollars and pounds and euros suddenly are, uh, suddenly are much more, more significant when you're talking about rupees or yuan or rupaya or whatever. And interestingly, though, when you do actually start digging in, as you kind of said, you know, when you start digging into some of these really kind of uh, budget mid-range phones, they're not actually that new with the with the components that they use so for mm-hmm. example i remember there was one that i saw and i was like wow you know this is it's got 128 sorry 256 gig of storage and this that, and the other and then i started then you know went on gsm arena i love gsm arena it's a complete great place to nerd mm-hmm. out yeah right yeah. great place to nerd out and then you realize that oh this only has ufs 3 2.2 Oh, this only has UFS 2.1. That's where they've saved the money. They, you know, they've shaved it. It's only a little amount, but they've shaved it off just so they can hit that price point. Like you say, it's been designed. The mo- It's not been designed, let's make the best product we can and then sell it, right? It's, we need a product at $200. We need a product at $250. We need a product at $300. Okay, what can we make and how do we hit that price point? Do we hit that with slightly cutting the corners on the... Uh, on the components do we do it by cutting the corners by well not cutting corners by by loading up with uh, bloatware and adware and stuff like that like Bill was saying that you can't get rid of you know how you know what what way can we get the and what will people not notice and yes if you know if you're only spending (laughs) 200 quid uh for a for a phone and you're living out in the the sticks of south south asia is the fact that it's usb2 rather than usb3 a really that big a deal if it's ddr3 ram rather than ddr5 is that really such a big deal probably not so people won't notice it you know and so people will still get what they think is wow this is uh, this is brilliant and then, yeah, as I said, if you start, actually start digging into it, then you start seeing, oh, okay, so this is where they've cut the corner. This is where they cut the corner. Now, I'm. This is admittedly a first world problem for me. I mean, you know, I'm the one. I'm the guy that likes to have the the, the best phone and the best cameras and the best this and the best that. Yeah, but right. I am not the target demographic for most. I'm not where they're going to make money. Put it that way. Yeah, <laughs> you know, most companies well, are not going to make money is- on me. <clears throat> right, that is the most people can be happy with just a device that can is capable enough of, to do the things they want to do with it versus people who are into technology, into that space and understand the nuances all of a sudden. And this is like I've said with, you know, Linux versus Mac and Windows. 
if I didn't know about Linux, I would probably be perfectly happy to use Windows or Mac and just not care because it wouldn't be in my mind the idea that I could change anything I wanted. I would mm. just accept the fact that this is the operating system uh, and this is the way it is. And if I want to get something done, then I just have to do it that way. Whereas because my mind has been altered by the concept that I can change Linux anything is a mind-altering drug. <laughs> well, it is in the sense that once you know, once you understand that you can make these things and make it your own and change literally anything you want to change within, you know, reason, um, then all of a sudden when you're using something like Windows, it becomes limiting. Whereas before... You didn't know any better. You didn't care. Yeah. Like it didn't make a difference. And I think phones are very similar like that. Like you get a phone, it has a camera, it has, you know, a web browser, you can make calls on it, you can text on it or whatever the things, you know, the main important things to you. Uh, and that's fine. It just does those things. And all of a sudden though, you start look going to GSM arena or you start reading and it's like, oh, well, hmm, that one's got this slightly better thing. And then, and then all of a sudden you're psyching yourself out where it's like, oh, well, this phone isn't good enough anymore. Now I need to get a better phone. And it's, <laughs> um, I try really hard not to do that to myself. And honestly, I've kind of undone some of it where I'm proving to myself that older hardware and older technology the the only difference, like you said, is maybe it's one, you know, processor family generation less than the newer one. What am I really getting? You know, when I look at new hardware today, I, I'm not seeing huge innovation. There aren't there yeah, aren't yeah. like major leaps in phones are this way. There there what is differentiating two years ago, three years ago to the current model? And I to me Pixel was the only really innovative and captivating thing because they're of the on system type of stuff that you can do with, you know, altering images with the voice transcription and, um, you know, the way that the software handles the cameras. And like, there's a lot of stuff that Pixel does on the, on the phone itself with the tensor chips. And that was interesting, but everything else is just, I don't care that the camera is 16 megapixels versus 14. Like it just... Those yeah. things really are not yeah, they don't. foundationally different. And so they're not noticeable. They're not noticeable. And this is the thing, I think, that, as I said, you know, the law of diminishing returns, you know, people will like to use Geekbench scores or Antutu scores as benchmarks. But right. really, you know, that's just a, it's a synthetic thing which can easily be manipulated. Hello, Samsung, you know. Um, and um, so that it doesn't mean anything in reality. So again, um, one of the YouTubers that I've, uh, I watch, uh, he says, I'm not going to use benchmarks to try and figure it out. What I'm going to do is I'm going to put some tasks on it. And so he does a mm. video edit. He does a video edit. He does a batch photo process. Uh, he exports a video file. There's a couple of these kind of real world tests as mm -hmm. it were, right? And you get some interesting results in places where you didn't think, right? So for example, yeah, okay, the newest one will be slightly better, but it would be like, yeah, it exported the video in 10 seconds less. I mean, is that really worth it? You exactly. Know, something like that. But then, especially when you've got like different, um, I don't want to say classes of chips, but different manufacturers. So for example, Google Tensor, as an example, you know, it's a custom built chip. Uh, it's made by Samsung, but it's custom, you know, designed by Google. Um, obviously, you've got all the Snapdragon stuff. Then you've got like, you know, the MediaTek 
chips, right? And find that there's actually some subtle differences between them. So the tensor, even though for many of the things is lower than the equivalent Qualcomm chip, when it comes to video editing, it's amazingly quick. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. It's obviously something to do with the design of the way, the, the way those cores are. Because I know that Google have been trying to maximize the machine learning and the AI kind of capabilities. Right. It meant, you know, it was beating phones, you know, out of the world. A Pixel 6a would, you know, export a video file much quicker than the uh, Galaxy S22 of that same year. Yeah. You know, uh, even yep. though on paper it's different. Similarly, when it came to gaming performance, you found that last year's Snapdragon was better than the Tensor because the Tensor wasn't built for gaming in that sense. The Snapdragon had more horsepower and can do it. A MediaTek you know, see- uh, chip also had some interesting things like it could it could he- hit higher peak frame rates but couldn't m- m- sustain those frame rates. So if you're playing a game, it would go up mm. to 100 uh, frames per second and then it would drop down to 20. Well, I was actually worse as an experience if you're playing a game than if you had a consistent 40 FPS. Right. Do you know what I mean? Because every, yeah. you would always feel like the game is lagging and they would always feel like the game is slowing down. So I found those differences more interesting uh, than the raw number. This is betterer because the numberer is betterer. Well, I, I, so I wanted to talk to you about this specifically because you seem to really follow this type of stuff. So I think that Apple with the M series chips has really changed my thinking about what ARM can be. I've always thought of ARM as being lesser, lower power. I mean, yes, Mm -hmm. it's good at being, uh, you know, a mobile chip and that kind of thing. But in terms of just like desktop or or real computer performance, right, I've always discounted a a ARM as being like, it's never going to be an actual, you know, powerful chip. And, you know, Apple sort of really changed that thinking in my mind. And then I saw that like now Snapdragon is, they're making chips that are supposed to be like desktop class. And I hear yeah, that yeah. ARM yeah, chips the, are going to be a big thing in data centers. Yeah. And so, yeah. I mean, um, anyway, so I had, I'd gotten yeah, to the yeah. point where I was asking about what do you think about ARM kind of coming in and becoming more of a player okay. in like actual. So that's a very good question. And it is something that I've uh, been following. I think actually, if you're going to look at raw horsepower, ARM hit parity with a lot of desktop class CPUs probably about three years ago, I would say. The issue was to do with the applications and the software that could be, that could utilize that power. And a lot of it, you know, because there just isn't as much money in it you know, making, so I'm talking about from the Android side for the the time being, you know, there wasn't just as much money in it, you know, of trying to make, you know, the most performant, uh, well-optimized thing for Android because there was 15 different chips and there were 15 different versions of the operating system and this, that, and the other. You had to make as, uh, if you're making, if you're an app developer, you had to make something that worked on everything, not necessarily that worked really well on one thing and was, not so good on the others and so people weren't kind of looking in that uh, direction then apple basically said we will have a go right i mean obviously they've been making their arm chips already because they've been making the a series chips for the iphones and it was on the basis of if i remember correctly i think it was the a14 
or it might have been the A12. I can't remember. But one of those two chips is what was the base for the first M series um, um, ARM chip, uh, which they put in the MacBook Airs and MacBook Pros and whatever. And so now you had a single chip. Now you had a you have that vertical integration that Apple has always had. And so they were able to design a chip and get get the most performance out of it and still get that kind of epic battery life that you would get with, uh, that you do get with ARM devices in general. Um, and I think that made a lot of the uh, Android OEMs and the Android chip manufacturers, whatever, kind of sit up and go, well, you know, our, our devices can do this already. It's just that we haven't got the outlet for that horsepower you know it's the you know the thing about putting like a six liter v6 into a nissan micro you know that's kind of where android phones were so now it's like okay so now we need to um optimize the you know the applications optimize the ecosystem and things like that and that's one of the things that you know uh google have been doing samsung as well we you know samsung decks and all that sort of thing um and now when the concept has now gone for, okay, well, what about full full on Windows on ARM? You know, yes, I know they started off, there was a Windows RT with the original Surface, but that was, you know, that was kind of dead in the water at that time, mainly because it was, you know, it was all, there was a lot of the whole Windows 8.8 going on at the time. But, you know, over the last couple of years, Snapdragon have been working a lot more closely with Microsoft. They've made specific chips, 8CX, 7CX chips, which, and they've, there are SKUs of the Surface which run that. They haven't necessarily been that brilliant so far, partly because of how bloated Windows is probably, right? Um, but this year, you know, it seems like they've hit some kind of performance ceiling, you know, with the X Elite, which was the one that was announced at the last Snapdragon Summit. And, you know, they're, they, okay, okay, it's synthetic benchmarks. So who believes synthetic benchmarks, <laughs> right, right, right? Having just said how rubbish they are. But the synthetic benchmarks show that this is already outperforming an M1 uh, Mac wow. with, with the same kind of battery life. I really think the issue is going to be the apps, the software, the ecosystem around yeah. it, you know. And if you've got something that can actually leverage that power, you know, you've always had that V6 in your Nissan market. You've always had the, you know, uh, Qualcomm uh, Snapdragon Gen 1, uh, sorry, uh, 8 Gen 1 or the triple uh, eight or the a65 or eight gen 2 or whatever you know whichever versions you've got you've always had a really powerful chip you just had no way to utilize it now that you know as i said i think manufacturers are taking more notice of that and the fact that people are doing a lot more things productivity based on their mobile devices their foldables or uh, whatever mm -hmm. then i think people are um, i think you know the next year or two will be very interesting because uh, the one thing I would say is they put the M1, Apple put the M1 in the Mac, right? MacBook. And it was amazing, right? Um, the performance and the, and this is a, this is a guy who doesn't like Apple, right? I'm saying it, right? right? The yeah. performance is amazing. The battery life is amazing. They put that same M1 chip into an iPad, right? And the battery life is amazing. Well, it was already amazing. The performance is amazing. Yeah, but you couldn't actually do what you wanted to do. Yeah. The software wasn't there. So you right. had all this headroom. And yeah, it was your Nissan Micro with your V6. That's exactly what it was. 
Yeah, and I think so. When I look at it from from my sort of outsider perspective, just not having spent any time really using ARM devices outside of an Android context, I look at the challenge and, like you say, the overcoming the software gap. And I just think that that's probably the the hardest thing to get my mind around is why there are so many different standards. You know, why ARM isn't just a consistent thing, and like it makes it seem like it's kind of impossible. Unless you're a company like Apple that can put all your resources into a single, you know, uh, instruction set, a single yeah. vertical you know, integration. You know, there's at the end, you know, there's a reason why people try and copy the Apple uh, playbook. You know, there is a reason yeah. why Google has a Google ecosystem, why Samsung has a its own ecosystem of services and things around it, even though it doesn't need to. It's completely superfluous, right? Or the 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 you know some of the other things the fact that you've now got more interoperability you know you've got your samsung phone and your fam- samsung uh, laptop even though it runs windows will now talk to each other much better um and that's before you get into the specific manufacturers each having their own you know i've got a oneplus at the minute apparently if i had a oneplus pad i'll be able to just you know flip things from one to the other and not be able to mm. so um so vertical integration is um it, and it's always been the reason why linux has never been as performant on hardware i find uh, in the past you know like we were talking about yeah. uh, with your tablet uh, at the last mincast you know how the battery life isn't as good and stuff like that it's because you know you've got a generic like you know uh, all size fits all version rather than something right. that is right. tuned to that hardware and same again with the google tensor and its video editing why is it a chip that is consistently consistently bad at other things fantastic at this one point well because the way that the chips are designed makes yeah. it yeah, good at that point. So um, I do think we have got the um, uh, the title for the podcast, though, that Linux is a very dangerous drug. <laughs> Some, I can't remember who said it, but it was something. Yeah. yeah, unmute yourself, Bill. <laughs> Audio editor I'm Bill. Awake. I'm, I'm awake I, I, now. I, I'm yeah, awake. Yeah. <laughs> Our man who's the one who's responsible for all the audio oh, just man. spoke to That's us right. at length right. about how he's so great at audacity and everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Unmute. I'm, I'm just a pro at audacity. You ask me anything, do, I'll tell you. Do you use audacity? Do you I, use Arch as well, by the way? I, I, yes, I do. In fact, oh, really? No, most, I didn't know anything about that. Most of our editing gets done on Arch because I have to do it on the road. And that's what my laptop. Oh, Arch is just too annoying. I'm, I'm, I'm getting annoyed with Arch now. It's just you know why, in, why is everything more complicated than it needs to be? I got to tell you though, um, for years, up until I started on Mintcast, and the only reason I installed Mint is because I felt like okay, I'm on Mintcast, might be, yeah, my an okay yeah. idea to use it. You know that way yeah, I know yeah. what I'm on about a little bit, but up to that point you know i would try all the, i'd hear about these new distros trying out this new thing and i would try it and i would always end up running into this roadblock where i i have like an esoteric use case for something and with arch you can just do it you can just bend well, see, that's it to your the will problem. well that's the problem you see now this could be this could be a me problem rather than an arch problem all right uh, and the fact that i don't know as much about it but whenever i run into this kind of esoteric relatively esoteric problem whatever it might be mm. i can i can do it on ubuntu i can do it on anything debian well ubuntu based i can't seem to do it on arch so the example i was saying about my um, fantastic experiment trying to you know flash a custom rom right um 
in the I mean I should have probably taken this as a sign actually but I shouldn't even really install ADB properly I couldn't even I mean, get into you know control the bootloader e- easily and you know I'd I'd gone to the AUR and I'd gone the package and this that and the other and after a while I was like you know what I'm going to do this on my Ubuntu machine which made it much easier for me to fail I mean I, obviously I still failed but at least I knew <laughs> at least at least it didn't put roadblocks in the way but the biggest problem people run into is when they when you install something on Arch, if there's a systemd unit associated with that package, it doesn't get just enabled by default, which I don't know. I don't necessarily agree with that, but their their attitude towards it is that they this operating system makes zero assumptions about the user. But you know, my argument to that is, yeah, but, you can assume if somebody's installing a package, they want it to work right after no. installing it. You know that. No, I mean, that, that's not an unreasonable assumption at all. And oh, I don't know, William. I don't <laughs> know. That's that's. Heresy. But it will not. It it will not by default uh, start the system D units. This is why when you're, especially when you're first starting to use Arch, you basically need to have the Arch Wiki open all the time. And whenever you go to install anything, or when you when you're going to do anything, and uh, you need to look and see if there's an ArchWiki page on that particular piece of software or on this thing that you're trying to do, because it will outline step by step, you know, what you need to right from the installing to the enabling of the associated systemd units and then you know the the other sometimes like for example the the big bugaboo for me is getting virtual machines running in a kvm using something like vert manager well on our you know on on something debian based you have to install vert manager and everything works well not so on arch you've got to install if you want the QEMU back end, you got to install that. You've got to install the KVM back end. You have to enable, um, there's like four system D units you've got to enable. And then you got to reboot the system, you know, and, and you got to know to do all those things, to install all those things and enable them. So on the, so on that unbelievable bombshell that Arch is difficult, should I mean, we wrap up? <laughs> Yeah, we should wrap up because that is a rabbit hole to beat the band. Um, yeah, mix yeah, whatever uh, metaphors you want. Real quick, I'm, uh, it's not really an announcement. I've mentioned it before. I am eventually going to migrate the RSS feed uh, for this show away from where it currently is on uh, uh, Red Circle. I'm gonna I'm gonna move it to an archive.org based. Meaning the, uh, the RSS feed will come from our website instead of instead of Red Circle because I'm I'm just wanting to move away from third-party platforms altogether and there will be an overlapping period. I have not created a uh, entry for the show for this for the second feed on Podcast Index or Apple Podcasts yet. I just haven't had time, but I'm I'm gonna keep announcing this until it's done what's going to end up happening is the very last episode on the old feed will just be something announcing hey you need to go over and look at the new get the new feed um and then from then on out it'll be the archive.org feed anyway that's that's a lot of boring stuff 
but uh, eventually it is going to happen. Um, the only reason I didn't do that from the beginning is because when I first started all this stuff, I didn't know how to make RSS feeds or uh, all the nuances to file hosting and all that stuff. Now I know how to do. I've been thrown into the deep end, so to speak, with learning how to manage all these things. And Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of that myself right now with uh, DistroHoppers Digest, and it feels like a very convoluted process compared to what I used to do. So um, I just need a checklist. That's what I'm kind of saying is like, give me the breadth and depth of it, and either I can go along with it or I'll make it better. <laughs> yeah. So and anyway, it's, it's a lot to learn, but once you do, it's, I mean, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But I was, and it's one of those topics that there is an endless supply of alternate ways to do right. everything. Yeah. Literally. <laughs> but that is a change that's coming eventually for now. Uh, the RSS feed is coming from red circle and that's what you're getting on your podcast player. Uh, if you're listening to the show from the website, that is coming from archive.org because I'm physically uploading the files to both platforms. And that's something I'd really like to stop doing. So <laughs> uh, eventually it'll just be archive.org. I, I like I like the uh, Creative Commons sort of community aspect that goes along with archive.org and mm -hmm. the the plugin we've got on our website for uh blueberry it's called blueberry powerpress and it does everything that plugin makes the rss feed um spreads the content out there you can even create uh chapters with it which i've i've learned how to do recently on mintcast um i don't see how that would be useful for this show but you never know um, anyway, yeah, that's going to happen. Uh, we'll be back in two weeks when we're, we'll be talking about God knows what we literally didn't know what we were going to talk about until we got on camera today. <laughs> I still it seems don't know. to work. <laughs> it seems to yeah, work brilliantly. I, and that's why it's off the cuff. Off the cuff. Right. So, that's right. Um, let us know what you think, folks. Let us know what you think about all this stuff. Crying out loud. Yeah. Um, show at linuxotc.org comment directly on the website like and subscribe on the youtube all the stuff you hear everybody else say um yeah see you in two weeks until then i've been bill i've been eric and i will do it i've been magic thanks folks we'll see you <laughs>